Thank you, Greg, for leading us, for those that serve with Greg and leading us in worship and preparing our hearts to read, study, and apply God's Word to our lives. So grateful that you're here this morning. I hope you have a Bible, something that you can open up, preferably, or something that you can turn on, and that you will join me in Genesis chapter 2. If you're not familiar with how to navigate through your Bible, if you just start the first few pages, that will put you in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in the second chapter of Genesis this morning. I hope when you came in, you got a bulletin. Um, There'll be some notes on the back of that. If you want to access those, they'll be above me on the screen. But uh, if you want to uh, take notes or follow along as we study and apply God's Word together, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Several weeks ago, we as a church adopted and embraced some core values that are meant to kind of give us structure for the days ahead. And so these three core values that we adopted as a church and said we want to make these the core values, the identity of the church moving forward. We had three core values, a a common mission statement, but within those three core values, they're defined as the core values of the church being to build families, to teach the Bible, and to be the church. And within those three core values are some qualifying statements. But what I want to do starting this morning over the next several weeks is I want to just explain and lean into, press into why those are core values of this church and how we as a church understand the core values and how we as a church can embrace and understand the need for us to live out and to practice as a church these values be for us. So one of the qualifying statements for building families is to support the home by pursuing God's design. So one of the core values, the very first core values that this church embraced was we want to build families and we want to support families by pursuing God's design for the home. So where we're going to be at this morning in Genesis chapter 2 is we're going to look at what is God's design for the home. What is God's design for families? We think about the idea of we want to build families up. We know that there is a culture around us that is continually trying to redefine. They're continually trying to restructure what the family and what the home looks like. We know that there's a lot of other opinions and ideas out there. But the question for us this morning is, what does the Bible say about what is God's design for the family and God's design for the home? And so that is why I asked you to join me in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start this morning looking at what is God's design for the home. And let me give you a couple of qualifiers before we ever get started. I realize in a room and the number of people that are gathered in this room, there's a couple of things that are true about us. There is not a perfect family in the room. So as we look at God's design and as we consider what God's design is, And as we are walking through this, and if you find yourself looking at this and going, well, I am just such a slacker. I am so, uh, I am so falling short. And oh, I am such a miserable failure. I want you to know that you're in good company. There is not a perfect family in this room. The second qualifier I want to give you this morning is there is not a perfect picture in this room. 
So as we come to God's word, as we look at Genesis 2, we are going to see God's design. We are going to see God's ideal. We're going to see his original purpose and plan for the home. But as you and I come and as we take scripture and we reflect it upon our lives and we apply it to our lives, there is not a perfect family and there is not a perfect picture in this home. I am not a perfect husband. I am not a perfect father. Jaylene is not a perfect wife. She is not a perfect mother. Our children are not perfect children. Every single one of us in this room is in an imperfect state. So as I say this, this is not to shame anybody. This is not to guilt anybody. This is not to make somebody feel like they are less than or they are falling short or they are a miserable wannabe. And I also realize that in this room, there are some people that can identify and some people that can't. There are some people that are single. There are some people that are single again. There are some, some people that are single by choice. There are some people that are single against their wishes. And there are a whole varieties of blended families and partial families and blended and, 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 and brought together families. I realize there's a lot of different ideas in this room. But what I want to do this morning is to look at what is God's design for the family. So that we as a church can lift this up and say, this is what God's ideal for us is. So Genesis chapter 2 begins giving us this picture of what is God's design for the home. And I, and I put there in your notes, when we think about God's blueprint, if you sit down and you go to build a home or you go to build any kind of structure, a lot of times there will come with a set of prints. And the prints will say, here's how you are to build it. Here's how you are constructed. Here is how you are to put it together. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, God gives us an example. He gives us a scriptural picture of what it looks like, what his blueprint is for the home. And so there in Genesis chapter 2, if you're there, it will say, um, you'll, you will find passages where he talks about God's blueprint for the home. So, so let's dive in this together and see what God's blueprint is for the home. The first thing I'd want you to see with me this morning is that God creates the home. God creates the home. You may say, well, that's kind of a simple idea, Spence, or that's kind of fundamental. No, but we have in a, in a society today, we have in a culture today that a lot of people think that they get the credit for what they have done. Or people think that they are the ones that designed it. They are the ones that created it. They're the ones that get to define what it is. They're the ones that get to determine what is and what isn't. That they are the ones that have the authority and the power. But what scripture teaches us right there from the very beginning, it is that it is God that created. If you look back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and verse 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and the creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created him. We get this idea, we get this understanding that some people may consider to be foundational, but it is something that our society needs to hear. God created Adam and Eve. So therefore, since God created, God gets to define. Because God created, God has authority. Because God created, God has power over. Because God created, therefore God is able to have authority over what he created. I put there in your notes that the creator has the authority over what he created. So therefore it's not a matter of me coming to tell you, well, popular psychology or popular science or popular opinion or popular culture or pop psych uh, psychiatry or any of those things, this is what they think. The question is, is what does God 
You see, so many of our questions today in our culture start with what I feel and what I think and what I believe. And they do not start with what God's word has said. So right here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, you see that God is in charge. God is the creator. If you look there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. He put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And as he's there in the garden, God realizes that there is not a helper suitable for him. Him. And so it says in verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. All of this is centered around who? Not Adam. Not Eve. Not an animal. This is all centered around God. See, God is the one that creates. God is the one that created Adam. God is the one that created Eve. God is the one that has the authority. So therefore, when it comes to this idea of a home, or when it comes to this idea of a family, or when it comes to the idea of my identity or your identity, all of this comes to what has God said about us. I wonder if somebody... If we were able to do time travel and someone was to come from 100 years ago and someone was to come from 1922 and to come into 2022 and I wonder if they were to sit down and they're to watch a television show about non-binary, intersect, fluid gender, all of these ideas of this identity, I wonder what they would say. See, right now we're living in a day and age where a lot of people decide that I identify and I get to determine who I am. I get to determine what I am, who I am, and how I live. I get to determine that because no one knows me like I know me, so therefore I get to decide. And these young people sitting in this room today are going to be overwhelmed with a godless rhetoric and a satanic philosophy that says that they get to choose who and what they are. And they will completely take it out of the realm of who has God created us to be? Who has God created people to be? Who has God created the home? Who has God created the families to be? So here in Genesis 2, it is foundational and it is pivotal that we understand at the very beginning, it's not a matter of my opinion or your opinion when it comes to the family or the home. The question is, what has God said and what has God designed? What has God put together? And here in Genesis 2, he makes it very clear. The writer of Genesis says very clearly, it is God from the very beginning. So it's not a matter of a popular opinion. It's not a matter of a church vote. It's not a matter of a contextual ideal. It's a matter of what has God said. God said there is a man. God said there is a woman. And he is bringing them together. And so it says there in verse 18, that the Lord God said it's not good that a man should be alone. So what does he do? It says there in verse 21, this is where our text really starts this morning. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now this is just a wild story. If you think about this, there is Adam. And how did he create Adam? He took some dust from the ground. He breathed into it. All of a sudden, poof, there is Adam. And Adam is going around in the garden. Adam is naming the animals. Adam is looking around and saying, I see a male and a female of this species. I see a male and a female of these sets of animals. I see a male and a female of this 
type of, uh, type of livestock out there, but I don't see a helper fit for me. So does God take the dust and deform the woman out of the dust? No, it says that he took the rib. And you can imagine if you were going to form a woman, would you really use the rib of a man? I mean, think about this. This isn't the way that you and I would have created it. This isn't the way that you and I would have done it. This isn't the way that you and I would have planned it. The last funeral that I was doing with the funeral director was talking. And he was saying that when you bury a husband and wife, and I don't know, Isaac, maybe he'll confirm this or not, but when you bury a husband and wife, the wife is always on the left side of the husband. And the funeral director said, you know why that is like that? And I said, I don't know. And he said, because when God formed the woman, he took the rib out of the left side of the man. And I said, where'd you get that from? He says, well, in the Bible. And I said, well, I haven't read it in the Bible. Where's it at in the Bible? He said, well, it says in the Bible, he took the rib out of Adam. And I said, but it doesn't say the left rib or the right rib. We really don't know, but we do know that this is how God created. It's in God's creativity. It's in God's purpose. It's in God's design that God created. So whatever God created, it says there in your notes, whatever the creator created, then, or the created then belongs to the creator. So because God created Adam and because God created Eve, therefore all of these things come to him. So when we start looking at the society around us, and we see people that are trying to marry themselves, or we see people that are trying to marry animals. Or we see people that are trying to mar and compromise and disfigure this picture of the family and this picture of the home. It's not a matter of you and I looking and saying, well, I don't like that and I disagree with that. The question is, what has God said about that? A couple of different times in the history of Jalen and I's marriage, we've bought these little computer desks. You go to Staples. They got a computer desk, little computer desk sitting there. You buy the computer desk. Of course, you've got to assemble the computer desk. And so you bring the computer desk home. It's in a big box. You undo the box. You open up all the pieces. And of course, my personality, I think, you know what, honey? There's the instructions I'm going to get to putting this thing together. And it, every time, every time it has happened, I will start assembling this thing because I saw the assembled picture at the store. I know what this thing is supposed to look like. So I sat down and I start putting things together and Jaylene is sitting there with the instructions and I'm putting things together. She's like, honey, I don't think. And I'm like, huh? Hush woman, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> honey, I got this. I've got a college degree. I've got more than a college degree. I, do, I, I got all kinds of tools. I know how to do this. And, and she'll look and she'll say, I, I'm not sure. I, I think you're doing this out of order. No, I got this. I got this. And you'll get about three-fourths of the way and something will be wrong. And you realize there was a creator. And that creator created it with a plan and instructions on how to put it together. And then that creator gave you a set of instructions on how to put it together. And when you deny the creator and when you deny the authority of the creator and you deny and ignore the instructions the creator has given you, then why would you be surprised when the result is dysfunctional, disorganized, or broken? You see, we're living in a society and we're living in a day and age that we wonder why we see such moral decay in our society. We wonder why we see such brokenness in our families. We wonder why we see so much, so much problems and turmoil in our culture and our society because we have stopped 
coming to the creator and we have stopped yielding and heeding to the creator's instructions. So we see right there at the beginning of Genesis chapter two, we see that God creates, but not just that God creates, but I also want you to see a second picture or a second element to the design of God is that God assembles. So God creates the home and God assembles the home. Where do I get this from? Well, look at chapter 20 or look at verse 22 of chapter two. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. And then what? And brought her to the man. It wasn't like he created Eve and then he set her out five time zones away and said, well, maybe they'll find each other by natural selection. Maybe we'll put her over here and we'll just see if, we'll just see if Adam has a, has a honing beacon and maybe he can come into there. No, what God did was God not just created Adam, he created Eve, but then he brought them together. God assembles, God joined them Together. Where do I get that from? Well, it says that he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh should be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's this idea that not only God created them, but then God brought them together. God knew his plan. God knew his design. God knew his will. And God knew what he wanted to do. And God brought them together. It wasn't that God created a bunch of random pieces and just threw them out there and said, let them figure it out. It wasn't that God just threw a bunch of random ideas out there and, let's say, and said, well, let's just see which one sticks. It wasn't that God just created a bunch of miscellaneous parts and threw them in a box and said, well, let's just see what happens here. No, everything had a plan. Everything had a purpose. Everything had a reason for being there. One of the things that super ir irritates me, especially in the electrical field. I'm out there and I'm working in the oil field and maybe Josh has had these same things, but you, you open up these pump panels and with inside these pump panels, you will have not only the important parts that make the equipment run, but you'll also have extra parts that went bad somewhere in the past and somebody was too lazy to take them out. Or you'll have wires that go here and go here. There's no labels, there's no color codes, there's no rhyme or reason what is going on. And so you look at it and it looks like you took a bowl of spaghetti and threw it in the panel and shut the door. Sometimes we have a closet that looks like that at home. <laughs> Sometimes we have a drawer that looks like that at home. I can show you some sweet center boys dresser drawers that look like that right now at home. And so we have that tendency to get things out of order, to get things out of the way they should be. And yet when God comes together, God joins the man and the woman and God brings them together in a way that only God gets the glory. And when God brings them together, you see what Adam says there in verse 23, Adam recognized the hand of God was in play. Some of us have been in this room the only reason why we are married to the women we're married to is because the hand of God and the favor of God upon our lives. Some of you children in this room, the only reason why you have the parents that you have is because the hand of God and the favor of God upon your life. And when we look around this world and we start to think, well, I wouldn't have been that smart. I wouldn't have been that wise. I wouldn't have been that discerning. I wouldn't have that much foresight. We understand that God has a way of bringing things together that we would have never imagined, that we would have never envisioned. And God has a way of assembling things that bring him glory. In other words, I put there in your notes, God does not make a mistake. When God brought Adam and Eve together, it wasn't that he said, oh, you know, well, let's just try this out and see what happens. God doesn't make a mistake. So whatever God's design is and whatever God's plan is, that is what God sees to be good. 
And it's in our sinfulness and it's in our humanity that we then take it and twist it and corrupt it and try to manipulate it for what we want and what we desire and what we prefer. Why do we do that? Could it be because we think we know better than God? The first few years of our marriage, Jaylene would fix supper. And I would come home and she would have supper prepared and I'd be so grateful. But one of the things I would first do is before I ever took a bite of the food, I would season it. And I didn't understand for a while we were married that it bothered her. The fact that I didn't even taste the food to even know if it was good or not. I just sat down and before I ever tasted it, I already seasoned it. And she's sitting there going, I have labored over this food for all this time. And you're going to come home and you're not even going to try it. You're just going to assume that it's not to your standards and you're going to season it already. And so then I got an understanding that it, it, it really bothered her that I would do it. So I sometimes do it just to aggravate her. And I, and I sometimes do it just to see if she'll give me a reaction. But it's like I understand what that's like. And the same thing that happens with some of us in life, right? We'll do something. We'll put a lot of effort into it. We'll put a lot of forethought into it. And when the other person comes along, they just, they just make assumptions and they don't understand how much time we put into it. And they just start to think that they're going to improve it or they're going to make it better without even understanding what you have done. And I wonder how many times in our daily lives we don't even consider what God has done, how God has put things together, how God has organized things. We just come in and say, God, I realize that you've already done a lot of this, but I think I can do it better. So we come into the picture, failing to understand that not only God creates, but then God assembles. And God can bring things together that you and I cannot imagine. He comes to Adam and he brings the woman to Adam. And Adam says in verse 23, he is excited. And that little phrase there, sometimes it'll have in quotations, sometimes it'll have in a block quote. But that end of verse 23 is not just Adam going, you know what? This is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You'd be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's not like Adam's going like, oh, humbug here. I got another mouth to feed. It wasn't like Adam is sitting there going, oh, this, you know... Now i got to put the toilet seat down. It wasn't like Adam is doing anything like that. Adam is excited. He's so pumped up because he's like, God has blessed me with the opportunity for a spouse. When's the last time you got excited about what God's doing in your life? When's the last time you got excited? Well, I don't have anything to be excited about, Spence. All I get is bad, 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 bad. No, the fact that you're here in freedom and with the right mind, the fact that you have had food, that you have probably driven here, the fact that you have all the things means that God is doing great things in your life. And instead of focusing on the good, it's always, I'm going to focus on the bad. We've got plenty of Eeyores in the world outside these walls. We don't need more Eeyores inside these walls. So he talks about this idea of God creating and then God assembling. But then, but then, notice in verse 24, there's this third picture of what God is doing when it comes to the family and when it comes to the home. It's that God protects. So God creates, God assembles, and God protects. And all of these come into the design of God for the family. Notice in verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So this design that God gives us right there in Genesis 2, what this home is to look like, we understand that God created it. 
So therefore, God gets to define it. God gets to organize it however God wishes. We understand that God assembles it. So however God brings this together is the way that God defines it to be good and the way that God defines that he should want it to be put together. And then how does God protect it? Well, it says in verse 24 that a man and woman leave their father and their mother and they become one flesh. God protects the home and God protects the family. How, Spence? Well, I would argue with you in function. What do you mean in function? Well, he brings this man and this woman together in a supernatural way that is only explainable by the grace and the mercy of God. He brings them together and they form one heart. They form one flesh. They form one mind. Now, I realize that we have churches and I realize that we have homes and I realize we have families that with full of division. That's because people are not living according to the plan and the design of God. He brings them together and there is a function. These two people now become one person with one mind, one goal, one spirit, one heart. Is that easy? I'm still working on it. Alan and Carol may have got it figured out by now, but I, I, am, still, I am still in training. I, I am still in that point of trying to understand how this functions and how this works. He says, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they should become one flesh. So God gives some protection here. He says, because I understand of the attacks of the world and because I understand of the attacks of the culture and because I understand of the attacks of sin and temptation and the flesh and all these other things seeking to tell the woman that he's not good enough or seeking to tell the man that she's not good enough or seeking to allure the man with his hobbies and his own interests and seeking to allure the woman with her hobbies and her own interests, he says, I'm going to bring them together and they're going to be so meshed together you won't be able to know where one ends and the other begins. And because they will be so joined together, all the rocks of this world and all the attacks of this world cannot separate them, cannot pull them apart. So he says in function, it's a matter of protection. He doesn't bring two people together and leave them in their own separate state. He brings them together and puts their hearts, welds, mends their hearts, pulls their hearts together so that they are one in unity and they're one in harmony and they function as one unit to protect themselves from the attacks of Satan and the attacks of the world. And it's not just in their function, but it's also in their purpose. When God brings them together and puts them together and it says they hold fast and they should become one flesh. It's this idea of the purpose is, is to point to God. We'll talk about this in a few weeks out of Ephesians chapter five. The whole idea of the husband and the wife, they are to represent Christ and the church. They point to the glory of God. They display the glory of God. People come and say there is only one answer to why those two have stayed together and that is God. There is only one explanation to why those individuals are still, still serving faithfully to the Lord and leading their homes faithfully, and that is God. They have a purpose. So God brings this marriage together and he gives them protection. And he gives them the protection of one another. Because there are gonna be some days, husband, that you're gonna have a rough day and you're gonna need your wife to give you wise counsel and wise encouragement and direction. And some days, wife, you're gonna have a rough day and you're gonna need your husband to be a source of strength and encouragement and support for you. 
So he gives them this protection, not just in function, but in purpose. But then also notice the last part of verse 25, or the last verse here in this, in this chapter, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. God protects them through intimacy. He protects them through intimacy. And I'm not saying something carnal. I'm not saying something, uh, something, something physical here when it comes to the intimacy. I'm talking about the intimacy, intimacy that comes when you have no secrets, when you have no separation, when you have no shame, when you have no guilt, when you are completely vulnerable and you're completely open with everybody in the relationship. When you are there, it shows us there in verse 25, the man and the woman, they were naked. They were not ashamed in the presence of God because they were completely in, in, in pure fellowship, relationship with God. Everything was as it was to be. They were naked and they were not ashamed or guilty between one another because there, there was pure fellowship and pure relationship with them. And the intimacy God gives us to point to him. I will tell people in premarital counseling that your fellowship between the man and the wife, your fellowship with one another will reflect your fellowship with God. And you will never be closer to one another than you are to God. And the closer you draw to God, the closer you will draw to one another. And so if you find yourself, and I have found this to be true, some of you may be able to prove me wrong, but everything that I've found so far, I have found it to be true. I have not found to date a faithful woman or a faithful man that is right where God wants them to be and out of sorts with their spouse. Nor have I found anybody to date that's the vice versa. Every time I see it, there is always a connection. There is always a, always a, a correlation. If they're out of sorts with God, they will oftentimes be out of sorts with their spouse. And if they're out of sorts with their spouse, they'll often be out of sorts with God because this is a connected there. Not only are we connected to one another horizontally, but we're also connected to God vertically. And so I will draw the picture of a triangle and I would say husband and wife, perspective husband and wife, the closer you draw to God is the closer you will come to one another. And so we need to understand that God has put this in place so that my relationship to God will be revealed in my relationship to my wife and my relationship to my wife will be revealed in my relationship to God. All of these things are connected and so God says, I know that you're gonna struggle. I know that you're gonna have problems. I know that there are gonna be all the temptations and the buffets around. But do know this. I've given you the gift of intimacy. I've given you the gift of oneness. I have given you the gift of being able to come to one another without the shame and without the guilt, without the hindrances, without the secrets, so that you might know what it's like to be in pure fellowship with me. So God gives all this. God gives this design for the home. And so you and I look at this and we go, Okay, so then how do we apply it to our lives today? How, how do we bring this home? Okay, we understand. Yes, God has created us. God has created the family. God has created the home. God has brought it together. God is the one that decides how it's put together, how it assembles that God has given us avenues of protection when it comes here. But then how do we then apply it? How do we then build families as a church? Three ideas. The first one is that we build intentionally. We build intentionally. We understand that as a church, there's a whole lot of different ideas in this world of what it looks like to be a family in a home. What did we have, 71 in youth last Wednesday night? 
71 students up there. 71 people that are being bombarded with all kinds of ideas, recommendations, examples, and pictures from a secular world of what it looks like to be a family or to be a home. And we have at an all-time high, in my opinion, the case of cohabitation. And we have people that are test driving all of these things, both physically and emotionally, before they ever commit. And I will tell a young man, or I will tell a young woman, you know what? A boy plays house, a man builds a home. But we have all of these that are going on where you have these young people that are being bombarded thinking, well, you know what? We don't have to be committed. We don't have to be in relationship to God. We don't have to be faithful with God is calling us to do. We get to do whatever we want to. And where is the church in building intentionality into what we are teaching young people? It means to be faithful to God. We need to build intentionality into the ministry of this church. We need to build intentionality to look at these young people and even to look at these adults and to say, this is God's design. It is not my design. It is not your design. It is not a popular opinion design. It is not a traditional design. This is God's design. And this is the design that we will hold to. And this is the design we will promote and support. So we build intentionality. We also build by example. We build by example. So we ask the question, is my home, does my home reflect the blueprint of God's? Now this is where it becomes very dicey because some of you in this room don't have children at the home. Some of you in this room don't have a spouse in the home. So you may look at me and say, Spence, well, that's great for somebody that has a spouse or somebody that has children, but how am I supposed to build by an example? Well, you see here in the text what is going on is God has a plan and a purpose for Adam and Eve. And I would submit to you that we can go in the New Testament and we can see where God has a plan and a purpose for you right now. Whether you have a spouse, whether you have children in the home, it doesn't matter to your stage of life. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And by your life and then by the way you conduct your life and carry your life, you can live out an example of this is what it looks like to live faithfully before God. Not because you can say, well, I've made mistakes in the past. Good. Show, show the grace of God in your life. Show the way that God can then use your mistakes for his glory in the future. But you and I can build, build a home by following the example that God has given us. No matter where you're at in your stage, we build by example. And then this final one. We build in Christ. We build in Christ. You see, if we buy, try to build an identity off of a church, the identity is going to be flawed. If we try to build an identity off of an ideal, the identity will be flawed. When I was younger, there was a guy by the name of Bill Gothard. And he was a popular teacher. He would go around and he would put on these two and three day seminars. And these two or three day seminars, he would have this transparency in the overhead projector and he would draw out pictures and he would draw out principles and he would teach. For two or three days, he would go through this seminar about how you are to live and the, and the conduct of a Christian home. And so there was a lot of people that, that Adam would call denim. There was a lot of people that, that bought into this idea of what Bill Gothard was teaching. And so some of them even started using this pejorative of a, of a, a Gothardite, but there was these ideas that 
these people are like, well, we're going to follow Bill Gothard. We're going to follow his teachings. We're going to follow his principles that he puts forth. And so I myself, I have been, not by choice, but by force, I have been to both of his seminars, both the basic and the advanced. And I've been there and my parents have said, see, that's what we're going to do. And all that stuff was built upon the identity and the teaching primarily of Bill Gothard. And then you fast forward about 20 years, things come to light that he wasn't the person he presented himself to be. And all these people that have built their identity upon a person now find themselves disenfranchised and broken because what they thought they were is no longer what they are today. Church, there is only one identity for us to build ourselves or this church or our homes on, and that is the identity of Christ. There is only one identity for us to rest in, and that is the identity of the Christ. There is, no, there is only one person that we are to tell and to encourage and to exhort, to entreat people, to follow after, and that is the model, the example, the identity of Christ. There is only one person. There is only one person worthy of us trying to model our lives after, and it's not a preacher. It's not a deacon. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It is Christ, and so everything that we do when we build families, when we teach the Bible, when we be the church, when we do all these things, all of this is so that we are more Christ-like in our practice and in our function and in our pursuits. And everything is built in Christ. And so right here in Genesis 2, God says, this is my design. This is my plan for the home. This is how I desire for families to be composed and how I desire for them to practice out their daily lives. But then, then you and I go from Genesis chapter 2 and we go to the New Testament and we see with the Christ coming and that new covenant we understand that we have an opportunity to be in Christ personally, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. So we have this opportunity today to pursue God's design for families. So my plea with us this morning is we think about the core value of building families. Let us come together and say we want to build families by supporting God's design for the home. Not by an ideal that we have crafted or come up with, not because of an ideal that we have popularly polled, but because we understand that we want people to reflect Christ. We want people to follow the Bible and we want people to glorify God. So we come together and we build families because we understand that the family that we understand the family is what God has designed and we understand that the family is what God has had a purpose for and we want to come together and say, we want to build up families in this community. What are you building today? Would you bow your heads with me.